Let's pray and ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word. We thank you that this message that we have in your word about Jesus is unchanging and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to stick with it and help us to obey what it says, put it into practice in our lives, that we may persevere in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, we've come to the last of our studies in the book of Hebrews, the 19th and final talk in the book of Hebrews. As I said last week, I think we can summarise the book of Hebrews in one word. Can you remember the one word? One word to summarise the book of Hebrews, persevere, persevere. Now, the author has given us reason after reason to persevere in our faith in Jesus. The main thing he's done is he's shown us how great Jesus is. He's the exact representation of God. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. On the cross, he offered the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He is alive again as our king and our great high priest and the mediator of the promised new covenant. Through Jesus, we can be forgiven and cleansed and accepted by God into his presence both now and forever. Jesus can do all this for us. No one else can. Nothing else can. And so we need to persevere, trusting in Jesus alone. The author has informed us. He's encouraged us. He's exhorted us. He's warned us. He's inspired us, all to get us to persevere in our faith in Jesus. And in this last chapter, as we saw last week, the author has been giving us some practical commands. Because in reality, most people, they don't just make a conscious decision, I'm not going to trust in Jesus anymore. What happens is they get caught up in stuff. And so in this last chapter, the author is dealing with issues that people get tangled up with, that take them away from Jesus. And he's giving us the kind of practical measures we need to take to persevere. So last week we saw some of them. Engage deeply in fellowship with your church. Don't move out to the fringes. Be sexually pure and faithful. Honor marriage. Be content. Don't love money. Trust God to the point that you don't fear people. Well, now in this last section, we continue with some more practical commands. Commands that will help us to persevere. So let's have a look. Let's have a look. The first commands. The first commands are about the kind of teaching we listen to. The author tells the readers to remember their original leaders. The ones who he says spoke the word of God to them in the first place. Now, if you do a little bit of research in Hebrews, and if you compare this with chapter 2 and verse 3, you'll see that he's talking about the original eyewitnesses of Jesus. So back in chapter 2 and verse 3, the author said that our salvation was announced by the Lord Jesus, and then he says to his readers, and I'm quoting here, it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Did you get that? It was confirmed to us, the church, that's their church, by those who heard Jesus. Okay, so the readers had their, in, their original instruction from people who had heard Jesus himself. These are, these are kind of second generation Christians. They're very early on. And so, in other words, it was the original Christian leaders and apostles who, who are being referred to here. At the time of writing, these leaders are no longer around, uh, but the author tells the readers to remember them and to consider the way they lived and to believe what they believed to imitate their faith. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Have a look with me. Hebrews chapter, chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. 
Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So the author tells the readers, imitate the faith of the original leaders. Believe what they believed. And he says, the reason that they can validly do that is because Jesus is unchanging. There's no change to Jesus. There's no change to the message. And so the original is still valid. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The author wants his readers to stick with the original and unchanging message about Jesus and that means they mustn't go off after any different teachings. Verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. The author then mentions one particular false teaching that was a trouble for, for for these first readers. Remember the first readers of this letter were Jewish Christians. They were suffering for being Christian and they were being tempted to go back to Judaism. It seems here they were being tempted to go back to some kind of uh, ceremonial eating practices of Judaism, but the author says, don't do it. He says, they've got no value. The only valuable thing is God's grace shown to us through Jesus. Second sentence in verse 9. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. The author then uses an Old Testament image. In the Old Testament, you could go to an altar, uh, the altar of the temple. You would sacrifice an animal on the altar for your sin. And then, uh, with some of the sacrifices, you would get to eat part of the animal. A little bit like what we did for men and meat, only we didn't actually do the sacrifice. Um, uh, But you get to eat part of the animal, and it was a way of symbolising your participation in the sacrifice, that you were getting the benefit of the sacrifice. Well, says the author, we Christians have an altar. We Christians have a sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we get to benefit from that sacrifice. When we trust in Jesus, it's like we get to eat at that altar. We get the benefit of his death. But the Jewish people, the Jewish people who reject Jesus, they don't get to benefit from his sacrifice. They don't get to eat from our altar. And so he says to his readers, you've got to stick with Jesus. Don't go back to these Jewish practices, ceremonial eating or whatever. Verse 10. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Okay, do you get the first set of commands? The readers need to stick with the original and unchanging message about Christianity. They mustn't go off after different teachings, for them in particular going back to Jewish teachings. Now, as as I said last week, I've been struck uh, in this last chapter by how modern these issues are. These are still the exact issues that lead people away from Christ today. The things that the writer says here are still so relevant to us today. You know, still today, there are millions of people in our world who are being misled by false teaching. By teaching that claims to be Christian, but that is different from the original and unchanging message about Jesus. Now, there may not be that many people calling us to ceremonial eating practices in Judaism, but there are plenty of people out there who claim to be Christian, who claim to be Christian teachers representing Jesus, but who are teaching stuff that is different from the original. Sadly, I can name names of people in this church who sat in these pews who have left us to go off after different teachings, whether that be the latest charismatic fad, or whether it be faithful, unbelieving, liberal theology mixed in with Presbyterian tradition. The danger is real. The danger is present. 
There are people out there who teach what is different to the original, so what should we do? What should we do? How can we be sure that we're getting the original, the unchanging, the accurate message of Christianity? How can we be sure? Well, in his grace, God inspired the original teachers of Christianity to write down their message. And the writings have been preserved for us in the New Testament. We have the same unchanging teacher, uh, same unchanging teaching that the author is referring to here. The same unchanging teaching from the same teachers. A teaching that takes us right back to the original hearers of Jesus. So how can we be sure we're getting the original message? We need to stick with the Bible. No, I don't mean just pull bits and pieces out of the Bible to justify our own ideas. We need to work systematically through the Bible, understanding what's being said in its context so we can get to what the authors originally intended to say, so we can get to their teaching. Friends, false teaching is a real danger. It could lead us away from Jesus. It could cause us to lose our salvation and there's only one way to be safe. Uh, do you know how they get bank tellers to uh, recognise counterfeit money? What they do, they just get them so used to handling real money that they can, they can just tell. The counterfeit, it, does, it doesn't feel right. The texture is wrong or the shape is wrong or the, something is wrong with it. Well, we need to do something similar with the original teaching of Christianity. We need to so immerse ourselves in the true and original teaching of the Bible that anything else just doesn't feel right. We need to be reading the Bible for ourselves. We need to be reading it in our families. And we need to keep it central to our learning in church. That way, hopefully, we will be able to pick up false and strange teachings. Now, for my part, my plan is to keep working through the Bible. Just book after book after book. <clears throat> uh, Andrew and uh, Darwin, we've been talking as we've just been sort of finishing off our time together about how do you plan a preaching program for the church? And, and uh, do, do, do you think about what the congregation needs and wants? And I said, well, I don't think about the congregation at all when I'm working through what I'm teaching. I just think what bit of the Bible should come next? What, uh, what's a, a genre that we haven't looked at for a while or something like that? Because let's let God set the agenda from his original word. So I'm just going to keep on, as pedantic as it may seem, reading through the Bible. It's already been read in church, I know, but I'm going to read back through it again and I'm just going to try to show you what it means and how it applies. Now, for your part, can I encourage you, keep your Bible open. Check out that what I say is the word of God that was originally taught by the apostles. You mustn't get carried away by different teachings. The message about Jesus is unchanging. And we've got to stick with it. Now, the next section. The next section the author calls on his readers to stand out as Christians, to step out from their Jewish friends and family and identify as Jesus' people, even if that means suffering and disgrace. He picks up on the idea of Jesus being our sacrifice. And he points out from Leviticus 16, our first reading, that in the Old Testament, the body of the sin sacrifice was taken outside the camp of Israel. He reminds his readers that uh, Jesus was sacrificed outside the city of Jerusalem. And he picks up on that metaphorically, and he calls on his readers, metaphorically, to come out of the camp, to come out of Israel. He calls them to come out of the city, to come out of Jerusalem, to be willing to stand out, move away from their friends and family if that's necessary, bear disgrace if that is necessary, and fix their eyes on the city that's to come, heaven itself. What's he saying? They've got to boldly stand out for Jesus, even though it may be socially unacceptable 
as we were told before, even if it means rejection by their Jewish friends and family. Verse 11. Verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places of sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now the author then says his readers can't go back to Judaism. They mustn't go back to offering sacrifices, following all the ceremonies, as if that's going to save them. No way. Now they've got to live their whole lives through Jesus. Now they need to praise God through Jesus. Now they need to confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Now they need to serve other people in Jesus' name. That's the sort of sacrifice God now wants. No animals on altars, no Old Testament sacrifices. Now he wants people offering their lives to him through Jesus. Verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his, Jesus' name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Okay, did you get that second set of commands? And willing to come out of the camp. Now here today, most of us aren't Jewish. Standing up for Jesus is not going to mean rejection from our Jewish community. It won't mean leaving behind practices from, from, from our religion. But, but still, this is, a, this is also a very modern issue. It's a very modern issue. Friends, here's how it is. Here today, not so much in here, but in, today in general, not everyone will like it if you are a Christian. Now, they might like it as long as they can say, well, that's nice for you. But the moment you say, it's not just nice for me, it's true and it's right for you, suddenly they're not going to like it so much anymore. Your family might not like it. Your friends might not like it. Your work colleagues might not like it. Your teacher or your boss might not like it. And so if we're going to persevere, if we're going to stick with Jesus, we're going to need to step out of the camp, so to speak. Be different, even if that means different from our friends, from our family, from our work colleagues. We need to leave the city, so to speak. We need to be different. We need to stand out as Christians, identifiably Christian, even if it means disgrace, even if it means we're hated, even if it means we are rejected. We're going to make it to the end as Christians. We've got to say, my heavenly citizenship is number one priority, above my family, above my country, above even my own life. Uh, recently, the Victorian Parliament examined the Equal Opportunity Act. They wanted to see if the so-called external aspects of religion, that's religion in society, religion in community, the external aspects of religion should come under state control. In other words, they were effectively considering ways to restrict religious freedom. The Victorian Church and Nation Committee of the Presbyterian Church wrote a submission. It's actually written by David Palmer, who often sits just where Palin is there when he's in town. Um, at the end of this submission that they wrote to the government, uh, they talk about the history of Presbyterians who've suffered persecution and even martyrdom at the hands of the state. Let me quote from the conclusion of this submission to the government from our church. They, that's Presbyterians, suffered in the public domain in what might be described as a sometimes gentle but always determined and strangely loyal defiance of the state's claim on their ultimate allegiance. We trust, with this 
new change to the legislation, which didn't happen, by the way, partly because of this submission. Uh, we trust that we might not be entering such a time again. But if we are, then it needs to be understood that if put to a choice, our loyalty will be first and foremost to our Lord Jesus Christ. Stirring stuff. Here at Presbyterian saying, Jesus first, Australia second. Jesus has number one allegiance, no matter what the cost. Now, what about you? Are you willing to put loyalty to Jesus above every other loyalty? Are you willing to live your life for Jesus, even if it means suffering? Even if it means disgrace? Now, if you're not willing to do that, then you're in danger of not making it to the end. Might seem okay now, but the time is coming when your loyalty will be tested. One way or another it will be. The time is coming when you will need to stand up, stand out and bear disgrace for Jesus. Now, if you haven't got this straight in your mind, you could very easily fail, you could very easily chuck it in. If we're going to persevere, we need to be ready. Ready to come out of the camp, say, I'm sorry, I'm different, I'm not one of you. Willing to, to bear disgrace for the name of Jesus. You ready? Okay, next commands. Now, the next commands relate to the current leaders of the church. Now, the command to the Christians, very simple, obey your leaders. This is a good one. You ready? <clears throat> uh, if, the leaders, uh, if the leaders are carrying on the true teaching about Jesus, they have a real authority. They can be of advantage to the Christians. And so the author says, and I love him for it, make their lives easy. <laughs> Do what they say, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I know we live in a very egalitarian culture. I know we have a suspicion of authority. It's part of what defines us as Australians, apparently. But, but the Bible is clear. Churches should have leaders, uh, faithful, accountable leaders, who bring advantage to the church by watching over us, and then the church should obey them. Now, in our church, we call many of our leaders elders. And uh, as a group, we call them our session. You may have heard about session. Session is the elders when they sit together. Session means sit and uh, from this passage, we get a couple of important principles about our elders and leaders. First principle, we ought to choose our elders very carefully. We want elders who trust in Jesus. We want elders who know themselves to be accountable to God. We want elders who will hold firmly to the original biblical message about Jesus. We want elders who are models of Christian faith, who are leading their own families in a godly way. We want elders who take their accountability before God very seriously. We want elders who will do what this says and watch over us, look after us. We want elders who will love us and stick with us and care for us on our way through this life. Elders who will bring advantage to us by faithfully teaching us and helping us persevere. We need to choose very carefully. And then, having chosen, well, we need to submit ourselves to our leaders. Let me quote. I don't quote from this very often, but there's a Presbyterian rule book. It's called The Code. There's a Presbyterian rule book. And uh, let me uh, quote from what it says about what it means to be a member of a Presbyterian church. 
It is the duty of communicants and adherents, that's names for different kinds of members of a Presbyterian church, it's the duty to give faithful attendance on gospel ordinances, go to church, to give their ministers all due respect, encouragement and obedience in the Lord, to submit to the session as over them in the Lord, to cherish a brotherly spirit among themselves and to promote the peace and prosperity of the congregation. There you go. If you're a member here, that's what you've agreed to do. And I'm pretty sure I gave you in small writing those, those very words. <laughs> so, um, you've agreed to submit to the leadership here, and that is a biblical and appropriate thing to do. Although, again, I can name names. I can name names of people who have left this church in disgust because the leadership had the audacity to call them to account on something. How they were involved in some kind of sin or going astray or off on wrong sort of teaching... I or, or another leader has taken it up with them and said, come on, here's what the Bible says, you've got to get in line, and they've said, get nicked. They've refused our care and they've left the church. Uh, some have even chucked in their faith. I can name names. Now, I, I know it's not what our culture thinks, but it is important to submit yourself to the discipline of a church leadership. If you won't submit yourself to the discipline of a church leadership, then you're in danger. You could very easily go astray. Now, can I say that I believe our church leadership here is a wise and godly leadership? And I believe we are genuinely trying to work for your good. I genuinely trying to teach and apply the original message of Christianity to you in Bible studies, as many of our elders are leading Bible studies. Can I encourage you, bring yourself under the discipline of our church. Listen to what we teach from God's word and put it into practice in your life. It will be of advantage to you. The next section. Next section the author asks his readers to pray for him, to pray that he'll be able to come back and see them again. Verse 18. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. Uh, and then the author prays for his readers. He prays that God will give them what they need to be pleasing to him. He prays that God will work in them so that they do persevere in Christ. Verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about you, but I reckon that is a really neat way for the author to end the letter. Because you think about this letter, for 13 chapters he's been hassling us, he's been warning us, he's been encouraging us, he's been exhorting us, he's been inspiring us, he's been commanding us, stand firm in Christ, keep going, don't give up. It's like he's been putting it on us, but now here, what does he do? He prays. He prays for us. I think it's a great way to end, because it reminds us of where ultimately our only hope for persevering is. We need God's help to persevere we need him to work in us what is pleasing to him and friends that's a good reminder to us don't you think we need to pray 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 in church pray in bible study come to our monthly prayer meeting we say it every month and every month nobody shows come to our monthly prayer meeting first tuesday of the month here in church right there where the warburtons are sitting pray at home pray with your family pray for yourself and pray for us. Pray through the prayer diary. 
I notice they've run out at the front. That's fantastic. I'll get some more. Pray through the prayer diary. Ask God to help us hold on to Jesus. Ask God, say, God, never let them go. Use this prayer from Hebrews if it's helpful. God, equip them with everything good for doing your will. Work in them what is pleasing to you. Pray for perseverance. How are you going on that one? How are you going on that one? Has prayer fallen off your agenda? Are you doing it all on your own? You think you'll be able to persevere by yourself? Don't need God's help? You think we'll be able to do it without God's help? You don't need to ask him? I know it's hard work, but it is so important. Prayer does make a difference. We need God's help to persevere. Let's ask him for it. Please, let's be faithful in this. We need each other. Let's pray. Okay, the author then finishes the letter off. Last little bit, we're nearly there. Uh, He asks his readers firstly to listen willingly to what he's written them because apparently it's a short letter. Uh, He gives them some information about Timothy and he ends with greetings and a final prayer. Verse 22. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my exhortation for I've written you only a short letter. I think he's being polite there, not accurate. Um, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I'll come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace, notice not law, not Judaism, grace be with you all. Now, I don't want to go into detail in this last bit, but just a couple of little interesting historical clues, I reckon. First, you notice Timothy's name in there. Um, if that's the same Timothy that travelled with Paul, then we get an idea who this uh, author is. He's someone who hangs around with Timothy and Paul and those kinds of people. Um, it puts him very close to the original leadership of Christianity. Also, did, did you notice the greetings from those from Italy? That's from Italy, yeah. Uh, now, it could, could mean a couple of things. If, if, he's, if he means Italians in Italy, then that gives us the clue that the author is writing from Italy. He's saying, well, my Italians here in Italy send you their greetings, wherever he's writing the letter to. Or alternatively, if it's the Italians who are travelling with him out on mission somewhere, and he says, the Italians with me send you their greetings, that means he's probably writing to Italy. So he's either writing from or to Italy. We don't know which. There's just a couple of interesting little clues there. Okay, let me summarise. What have we seen today? Well, again, it's more just very practical stuff, isn't it? How are we going to persevere as Christians? How are we going to make it to heaven? Answer from this part of chapter 13. We've got to stick with the original message about Jesus. The message we find in our Bibles. Don't make up your own message. Don't follow original teachings. Be unoriginal. All right, stick with the message. Second, we need to step up and be counted as Christians, ready to bear disgrace for Jesus. Be disgraceful. Okay. Third, we need to choose faithful leaders. We need to submit to their leadership, be submissive. And finally, we need to pray, we need to ask God, we need to bludge off God, so to speak. Ask him for his help, ask him to hold on to us, ask him to help us persevere. What's a persevering Christian look like? Well, they look like an unoriginal disgraceful, submissive bludger. There you go. They're the people who'll make it. Well, there it is. Congratulations, you've made it to the end of Hebrews. I hope it's been helpful. I hope you've been struck by how great Jesus is. And I hope that uh, you know now, you believe for sure, nothing is more important than trusting in him. And I hope you're ready to do whatever it takes to persevere. Let's pray. 
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the great, magnificent, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you for all that he has done for us and all that he will do for us. And we thank and praise you that through Jesus we can be with you in your presence in joy forever. We pray, Heavenly Father, as we've prayed every week through these 19 weeks, that you would help us to persevere so that none of us ever turns away or falls away or drifts away from the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you help us to stand firm in the Lord Jesus and to encourage each other so that together we do stand in joy forever in your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.